Good afternoon, Inspire Church. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It is so awesome to be here with you guys today. Uh, again, it still feels fresh to be back home, uh, be back in the Bay Area, be back with my lovely wife and kids, and be back here in Inspire Church. I missed you guys. Uh, again, I know I said it a couple weeks ago when I first came back, but thank you guys again so much for all your prayers, your support over me, my family, uh, especially my wife, who's a real hero, all the ones that stay back home to take care of the kids while all the other soldiers are away. We appreciate you so much. Um, so we've just completed a series titled Champion, and it's been amazing, right? It's been amazing. In it, we discovered how Jesus is the ultimate champion for everybody, from every walk of life, the hurt, the broken, the lost, the confused, the young, the old. If you accept Jesus Christ into your heart as your Lord and Savior, at that moment, he becomes your champion. And that changes everything. Changes everything. We heard incredible testimonies, either through the scripture or through the people here at Inspire Church that were inspiring. They were just amazing to hear. But I want you to know that as Jesus is your champion, when you receive him into your life, that we're not meant just to read about these amazing stories. We're not meant just to, just to hear or listen to these amazing stories. But when Jesus is your champion, you are meant to experience it firsthand for yourself. These amazing stories of what God wants to do through you. And that leads to what I believe God's put in my heart to share with you guys here today. And before we do that, can we just pray one last time? Dear Lord, we thank you so much for today. We give it to you, God. We give you the warriors, Father, please. And I ask that you would bless us today, God. I ask you would use me to do above and beyond anything I could possibly do, God. Because it's all for you, Father. Open up our eyes and our ears. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How are we doing in Babylon? First time I heard that question, I had the same blank stare that you guys all have right now. Like, what the heck are you talking about? So day one of 93 days of training at Fort Jackson, South Carolina with a group of chaplains, there were 60 of us, and we're sitting in a big lecture hall, and we're all in our civilian clothes, and we're all kind of, you know, nervous, scared, like, what is this experience going to be like? Um, about half of the room has prior military experience, and the other half, like me, have no military experience, so we're really scared. And so we're all sitting here. We don't know what to do yet. We're just kind of making, you know, small chat with everyone and uh, getting to know the people around us. And then finally, the course manager comes in in his uniform, and he's this, you know, old, burly guy, great hair, mean looking, and, and he's a chaplain, though. And he comes in and stands in front of all of us, and literally the first words he says is, and he kind of talks without opening up his mouth, is, chaplains, how are we doing in Babylon? And then we're all like, huh? What are you talking about? He said, how are you doing in Babylon? And we will unfold this as we move along. You see, the primary job that we were told as chaplains is to support the soldiers. And the way that we do this is by mainly being a ministry of presence, being amongst them wherever they are. If they're out in the field, if they're in the mortar pool, if they're working on their cars, wherever they're at, you need to be there as a chaplain and you're not there to preach Jesus. Actually, you can't do that. You're there to be a ministry of presence. Because in a culture like the military that could easily be morally corrupt, 
They told us U.S. chaplains are to be a moral compass that they can look at and follow. You see, in the military, again, it's very easy for, for, for things to go sideways, uh, just go sideways real fast. And, and, and I mean, just with, with the way that people uh, have been, you know, brought up and where they're coming from. I mean, you have people from every walk of life. And we were told that we need to be there to be their moral compass for them. And so I thought to myself, well, how am I going to do this? How is that possible? I felt God say, it's all going to be by influence, by the influence you have on them. That's how you're going to be able to have an impact where I've placed you at. You see, the reason the course manager opened up with that question, how are we doing in Babylon, because he knew that as chaplains, especially most of us coming from non-prior military experience, that we're entering into a culture, into a society that was brand new, and we didn't speak their language. We didn't know their customs. We didn't know their ways of life. We had, we had no idea what we were walking into, but yet we were still called to be an advisor. We were called to, 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 to have an influence where we're at by being a part of this society that, just that we don't necessarily belong to per se, but at the same time, you can't lose who you are. You have to know your own identity if you're going to have impact with the people that you don't necessarily belong to. So back to that question, how are we doing in Babylon? So we're going to get to it now. See, the time is around 6th century B.C., and the Babylonian Empire has just taken over the southern kingdom of Judah. So Israel was one nation. Over time, over conflict, they split up into two nations. You have the northern kingdom, Israel, the southern kingdom, Judah. The northern kingdom got taken over already. They were gone. Only the southern kingdom, Judah, was left. And the Babylonian Empire comes over and takes them over. Imagine that some foreign country comes over where we are today, and all of a sudden they overthrow our government, they overthrow our military, and now we are theirs. We belong to this foreign country that we know nothing about. This is the same situation that Judah found themselves in. And so the Babylonian Empire, they're going to take many of the Israelites away with them into captivity to live in Babylon. As captives. And that's going to bring us to Daniel chapter 1. So if you want to follow along with me on the screen or open up your own word or your Bible app, we'll be in Daniel chapter 1 starting at verse 3. So remember now, Daniel and a group of these young Israelite men, they are captives. They are crushed. They're lost. They're confused. They're probably scared. They're wondering why this is happening to them. They don't know if, if, uh, if uh, the kings doesn't have them have their head cut off or, or something crazy happened. They have no idea what's going to take place. So here we are, Daniel chapter 1, starting at verse 3. It says this. Then the king commanded Aspenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food and the king ate, or that, that the king ate, excuse me, and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years. At the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar. 
Hananiah, he called Shadrach. Mishael, he called Meshach. And Azariah, he called Abednego. Verse 8. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. So again, Daniel, put yourself in Daniel's shoes. Him and his friends are in a foreign country amongst a culture they don't know, a language they don't know, religions that they're not familiar with or they don't serve, and they're asked to, to go there, to, to, to join them, to eat what they eat, talk like how they talk, believe what they believe, and then at the end, be advisors to the king. I believe that Daniel's incredible experience that he's going to have throughout the book of Daniel here, that this incredible experience is going to be in large part due to the influence that he's going to have wherever God placed the map in Babylon. From this passage, Daniel has demonstrated an amazing job of how to establish influence in a hostile environment. And that I want us to focus on, influence in a hostile environment, because that's something I think that all of us can relate to living in the Bay Area, right? Pastor Phil just talked a little bit about it. And I remember early in our church plant days, he brought some statistics to the table of what Christianity, what, 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 of what the church looked like in the Bay Area. And check this out. Out of 8 million people who live in the Bay Area, 5 million are unchurched or claim no religious affiliation whatsoever, between the region of San Francisco, Oakland, and San Jose, where we are here today in Union City, this region is considered to be the least church region in the entire country. The least church region in the entire country. I remember Phil back in those days would tell us about those church plant conferences that he would go to, and you're meeting these pastors from all over, and then, you know, you say, like, where are you from? And then Phil would tell him how he's from the Bay Area, and then right away it's like, what? You're, you're, you're planning a church in the Bay Area? What are you thinking? Are you sure that's what God's telling you? Because everyone else views the Bay Area as a desert place when it comes to Christianity. And as I was in Fort Jackson, South Carolina, I mean, the 60 chaplains there, we're from, all, uh, we're, we're from the whole country. But we're definitely in the minority being from the West Coast or the East Coast. Everyone was from the Bible Belt, the Midwest, right? That was about 50 of them. There's about three and three of us from the West Coast and the East Coast. And so we're getting to know each other. And then I tell them now I'm from California, and right away their jaws just drop. They're like, what? God's called you to be a chaplain? And you're from California? And then I tell them I'm from the Bay Area, and they're like, what are you doing here? How did you end up here being from the Bay Area? I mean, I, I kid you not. That's how the outside country views us here in the Bay Area, you guys. It's real. It's real. So we can view the Bay Area as our own Babylon. We are amongst people that want us to speak a specific language they want us to, to, to be accustomed to their culture, do what they do, eat what they eat, say what they say, act like how they act. But God's called us to know our identity. And if you know your identity, then no matter where you are at, no matter how horrible you think that your workplace might be or maybe your family might be or your friends, wherever you are at, God can use you to have influence there, just like how he used Daniel. 
But I want us to take a little closer look here at the hostility that Daniel was facing. At verse 5, it says this. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years. At the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these, again, were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And they got new names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. This process that the Babylonian Empire was doing is that they were trying to completely indoctrinate these Israelites. They were trying to completely indoctrinate Daniel and his buddies. They were trying to say, hey, who you used to be, forget about it. What you used to believe in, don't even think about it anymore. But eat this. Drink that. Believe this so that you will completely forget who you used to be. You will completely forget what you used to stand for. And then before you know it, you will look and sound like all the Babylonians. That's what they're trying to do at this time. That's what they're trying to do. And they even go as far to change their names. Daniel, his name used to mean God is my judge. But they changed it to Belteshazzar, now meaning Bel's prince. Hananiah used to mean beloved by the Lord. And that was changed to Shadrach, now meaning illumined by the sun god. Mishael used to mean who is as God. Now that was changed to Meshach, meaning who is like Venus. Azariah used to mean the Lord is my help, was changed to Abednego, meaning servant of Nego. Now look at this here. This is interesting. The Babylonians are trying to completely change their identity. They're trying to say, you know what? You're not even going to have the same name in, uh, anymore. But we're going to completely change who you are how you talk, what you sound like, what you do, so that you will look like us. But you see what's interesting here is that they tell them not to eat this food or drink this drink, and that seems like a small matter. But you, gotta under, but you have to understand here is that to eat that food or drink that drink, it wasn't necessarily that food or that drink that was the problem, but it's what they used that food and drink for. You see, this nation used that food and drink as sacrifice to their idols. And scripture that Daniel knew in Exodus and Numbers was very specific of, say, of, of God saying, you will have nothing to do, never partake with any food or drink that's been offered to idols. And so just keep that in mind. We're going to go back to that in just a second of, of what Daniel chose to stand for. So what can we now learn from Daniel and how he demonstrated this influence amongst, amongst the Babylonians? Let's look at the beginning part of verse 8. Beginning part of verse 8 says this, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself. Defile himself. That beginning part, Daniel resolved. You see, the first thing that we need to learn from Daniel in establishing influence in our hostile environment here in the Bay Area, amongst your workplace, your family, your friends, is that we need to resolve. We need to have resolve. The definition of that means to decide firmly on a course of action. We need to decide firmly who we are, what we stand for, what we stand against. And here's the thing. As you make that decision of who you are, what you stand for, what you stand against, it cannot come in the heat of the moment. That's not when, we, that's not when we're supposed to make that decision. Because guess what? If we wait for the heat of the moment, 
when we're in that hostile situation, most likely that's when we're going to make irrational decisions. Most likely that's when we're going to let our emotions get the best of us and we're not going to stand for what we believe in, what God has spoken over us. You see, what we need to do is use those good moments Use the moments when you're at Inspire, the moments when you're just like, wow, God, I feel you. God, I know you're real. Use those moments as momentum for you to say, you know what, God, this is who I am. This is who you are. This is what I will stand for so that when you go into those heated moments, now you'll be ready to stand. See, in the military, starting at day one, the very first thing that you do when you get together with your unit and it's time for PT to do some exercise as you get together and the entire installation, there's over a thousand soldiers, units everywhere, all over. And, we're, and then we all meet at, at, uh, uh, at around the same time. And one of the first things you do is you have to say the soldier's creed. And amongst the soldier's creed is the word ethos. The word ethos, this is all of us sounding off with pride together in unison. We say this every single day for over 90 days straight. Word ethos, we say, I will always place the mission first. I will never accept defeat. I will never quit. I will never leave a fallen comrade. Imagine just hundreds and thousands of soldiers saying that together every single morning. And guess what? We're saying that before there's ever a mission to take place. We say it every single morning. And why does the military do that? Because they want to brainwash you. That's true. They want to brainwash you. But hopefully, they're doing it for the better. They want to brainwash us because they know that if they don't do it now, then when we go on mission, most likely in the heat of the moment, we're not going to make the right decision. We are not going to help out our comrade. We're going to quit on the mission. But they know that if we say it every single morning with pride, sounding off together, then it's going to be ingrained in us so that when we do go on mission, no matter what we face, we will live up to what we believe in. And I'm telling you, God wants all of us to do the same exact thing. Resolve. If we want to have influence in our crazy life here in the Bay Area, we need to choose right now, today, who you are, what you stand for, what you believe in, and then we'll hold on to it in the heat of moments. And you know, one of the ways that we can do this as believers, um, I listened to the Craig Groeschel podcast. He's the head pastor of Lifeway Church, and uh, he has an amazing podcast on leadership. And it's for everyone, for business people, for Christians, for whoever. And so I encourage you guys to check that out. But one thing that I got from him was that he said every single morning, every single morning, he has a personal declaration that he reads to himself to start off his day. And I'm going to read just, just, a, just a part of it. And this is actually mine that I kind of twisted to fit for me. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, just a part of it. But this is a personal declaration Jesus is first in my life. I exist to glorify him. I love my wife, Jerry, and I will lay down my life to serve her. My children will love God and serve him with their whole heart, and I will equip, train, and empower them to do more for his kingdom than they could ever imagine. I love people and believe the best about others. I am disciplined. Christ in me is stronger than the wrong desires in me. I am growing closer to Jesus every day. 
That's just part of this personal declaration that I got from Craig Rochelle, all right? So I'm thinking, I'm like, oh, wow, all right? He's an amazing guy, and, I, and then I just tweaked it just to fit towards me. But read something like that every single day so that when you go into those heated moments here in the Bay Area, you're going to be able to not join in with everyone else, blend in, fade in with everyone else, but you're going to be able to stand for what you believe and have influence right where God has you at. Let's look at the next thing that Daniel resolved not to do. And we're going to uh, finish verse 8 here. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. You see, the ancient uh, Hebrew word defile carries the thought of polluting or staining. So Daniel was saying, I'm not going to even allow this to pollute or stain me or who I am or what I believe in. I'm not going to allow this to defile who I am. Daniel is implying that the polluting or the staining of partaking in the king's food and wine that's been offered as worship to idols, that I will not allow that to have an effect on my spiritual states. This may seem like a small matter to us. I mean, it's just food. It's just a drink. You're going to go to the bathroom anyways, right? I mean, it's not that big of a deal, Daniel. Just eat it. Just eat it. Move along so that you're in a good position with the king so that you can still have an influence on him and be this advisors. But what's happening here is that they're saying that even the littlest thing, we can't allow even the littlest sin to creep in. But get rid of it right away. Choose not to defile yourself because guess what? It starts with that and then it's going to go on to something else and something else and something else. Just recently I heard the story of a 400-year-old redwood tree that fell in the forest. A 400-year-old ginormous, huge redwood tree just collapsed, fell over. And so you, so you would think, well, what caused this tree to fall? Was it fire? Was there an earthquake? Was there a lightning that struck it? Was something big? You know what caused this 400-year-old, huge, ginormous redwood tree to fall? Little tiny beetles was able to crawl into it and eat away at its fibers. And all these little beetles, time by time, all of a sudden, chipped away, and this tree fell. It's not the big things, but it's the little things. The enemy knows that, that, that he's not going to get you to say, you know what, okay, I don't believe in Jesus anymore, right? He knows that it's not going to be a big thing, but he's going to try to get little tiny things to creep in, to know that throughout time, maybe you won't believe in Jesus anymore. Throughout time, letting all these little things creep in without you choosing not to defile yourself with it and get rid of it out of your life, he knows that that's going to ruin your influence. I want to take a look now at something that I brought up earlier. It's interesting. Going back to the whole name change. I mean, imagine that all of a sudden, use my wife here as an example so no, so no one else gets upset. Imagine that her name is Jerry. Now your name is so-and-so, the worshiper of Satan. I would take offense to that. I'd be like, no, 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 no. You don't change my name, all right? You don't change my name to now represent your, your, your idol, your false god. That seems like a big deal to me that I would have a problem with, right? But look at what Daniel chose to stand for. He didn't have a problem with them changing his name. 
He knew that, you know what, you can call me whatever you want to call me. I'm going to let my influence speak for itself. You can look at how I live. You can look at what I stand for, and that will let you know who I am. You can call me whatever you want. Daniel knew that the name change had no impact on him or what he believed. So why make a big fuss over something that shouldn't change who you are in the first place? But according to the scriptures, again, back in Numbers and Exodus, the Lord spoke and said, you are not to partake in food or drink that's been offered as sacrifice to idols ever. Have nothing to do with it. So you see, I believe that if we're to have an influence in our hostile society, just like Daniel, we need to be wise about what we're going to stand for. I think sometimes as Christians... We stand for so much, we argue with, with our people at our workplace or our family members that they start to not be able to stand the scene, you know? Like, we, 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 we become annoying, we become that Christian that's just, you know, stuck up, that we can't relate to at all, when what we need to do is look at the Word, look at Scripture, and then, I'm not saying that we should just not stand for anything, but let's stand for the right things, because when you stand for the right things with scripture to back it up, now all of a sudden you will have influence that's going to last. You have influence that's going to last. Let's be wise about what we choose to stand for and not just argue about everything that, that, there, that uh, there is. You know, it makes me think of, what was it, like two Christmases ago with the Starbucks cup and all that drama that was going on and all that. Like, let's, let's be wise, all right? That's not in scripture, okay? Let's be wise. And let's choose not to argue about everything because as we do that, again, we lose our influence where God has placed you at. But let's stand for what Scripture says. Because the fact of the matter is, if our answer is to leave every situation, leave every person, then sooner or later we'll have zero influence because there will be zero people to influence. We don't want that. Daniel chose the right thing. It may not have seemed important at the time to Daniel or to others, but his decision not to eat the king's food shaped the next 60 years of his life. We talk about Daniel 2,500 years later because of his decision that he made of what to stand for, what not to stand for. If he doesn't make the right choice, the rest of the book never gets written. He becomes a forgotten Jew in Babylon who looked and acted just like everybody else. So let's choose the right things. Now, when we choose to resolve, to, to, to say, this is who I am, this is what I believe, this is what I will stand for, and wisely choose not to defile ourselves, what's the result? Let's look at verse 9. Verse 9 says this, And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief, the eunuchs. You see, when our objective to, in, in influencing our hostile environment where God has placed you at is to have resolve in who you are and not to let things uh, contradictory to what we believe defile us, the result is going to be favor. And now what we need to know about favor is that favor could also be considered as God's grace. So when I say that you have favor on your life, you could also say that you have God's grace on your life. And here's the thing about that. I think a lot of Christians, we equate favor with being the end result of something. Oh, I got that promotion. Oh, I got that promotion because I had God's favor, you see. Oh, I'm married now. Oh, you had God's favor. 
Oh, I got that new house. Oh, because you, get, because you got that new house, you had God's favor. And the thing is, we need to realize that as Christians, you receive God's favor the moment you ask Jesus into your heart. At that moment, you have God's favor. If you look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it says this. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. As believers, we all have favor, and we receive that favor by faith, believing that we are now have favor in our life because we have Jesus in our life. So in order to have great influence in our society in the Bay Area, we have to firmly believe that we can move forward and be at our workplace, pursue whatever it is that God's called you to pursue, and you're not going to receive favor only if you get that. But... We need to have confidence that we are going to have favor because favor has already been given to us. This faith in God's favor over our lives, before we experience any outcomes, is what really activates mighty movements from God and allows us to have powerful influence wherever God has you at. When God sees you move in confidence and boldness because you believe that you already have the favor of God over your life, guess what? Whether you get that job or don't get that job, that's God's favor. He has something else, he has something else in plan for you. Whether you find that special someone or you don't, guess what? You have God's favor, and he has a plan of why that is. And when we hold on to that, that's when you see God move. When you hold on to that, that's when you don't just read in Scripture about amazing God stories or, hear at, or, 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 or just hear about it at church, but you experience it firsthand for yourself. I want to conclude here. As believers, it is not only certain people that God wants to have influence. It's not just the ones that are running a church that you see on stage or running a Bible study. It's not only certain elect people that God wants to be people of influence. No matter who you are, no matter where you come from, no matter what you have done, no matter what you think your capabilities are or aren't, God has called each and every one of you when you receive Jesus into your life to be a person of influence. Paul is going to write to the Romans on what the influence of the church should look like and that it shouldn't not be just a select few, but for every believer. You see, the first half of the book of Romans, Paul is letting the believers uh, there know of all the great benefits there is in serving Jesus. In the second half of the book of Romans, Paul writes on how that benefits of accepting Jesus into your life and becoming a new person, having a new identity, how that benefit should affect how they live their lives. And it should make it and it should make them have influence where they're at. So I just want to read this real fast to you. We're, we're just going to go through this real fast here. Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 9. This is Paul writing to the church. This is to the church now, not to a select few, but to the church in Rome. And this is saying this is what your life should look like now that you belong to Jesus. Now that you have Jesus in your life, this is what your life should look like. Starting in verse 9, it says this. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. 
Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. I know this looks like a long list of do's. You'll understand when you receive Jesus into your life, you resolve who you are, what you stand for. You choose not to let the outside stuff defile who you are. This will come naturally. It will come naturally. And this is what influence looks like for you and me. Where we're at right now, at our workplace, with our families, with our friends, right where God has you, right here in the crazy Bay Area, this is what we need to strive for, to have influence where God's placed you at. As believers, as a church, not as certain people, but as a whole church, everybody here, we should love each other. We should cling to everything that's good and hate what is evil. We should be passionate about serving God. We should be a person of hope, patience, and faithful. Reach out to those who are in need. Be hospitable. Have time for people. I know that seems opposite of what we are and what we do here in the Bay Area. Be hospitable. Take time to stop, to talk to someone, to be there for them. Bless your enemies. Celebrate with others and be there in their time of need. Live in peace with people. Don't think highly of yourself. And to simply do the right thing. Do the right thing. I know this, again, seems like a lot. might seem scary to some of us. But again, you start with making that personal declaration every day. Who you are, what you believe, who God is in your life. Start right there. Start right there and remind yourself that. Tell yourself that every single day. And as you do that, as you go into those hostile areas, guess what? You're not going to be swayed back and forth by all the craziness, all the drama. But you're going to be able to be right where God has you at and have influence there. Have an impact on their lives. Again, we talk about Daniel 2,500 years later because of the influence he had amongst the Babylonians, a foreign people. We're in a foreign society today, you guys, as Christians living in the Bay Area. But guess what? That doesn't mean that we need to look like how the Bay Area looks. That means that we can have influence, have an impact the way that God has called us to. Can we all bow our heads and close our eyes? I want to end in prayer here. Heavenly Father, we're just so thankful, God. We're so thankful that there is a God that loves us despite of who we are, despite of where we came from, despite of what we have done. Lord God, despite of how we see ourselves or how others sees us, there's a God that when we choose to receive you into our heart to say, God, I believe in you. I believe that you are the son of God, Jesus. I believe that you died for my sins. I believe that you rose again on the third day. And I ask that you wash all my sins away. I ask you to wash all my sins away. And I repent from those sins. I repent from my former way of life. And I am going to go towards you from now on. When we choose to do that, then now we are a new person with a new identity. 
And so, God, I thank you, Lord God, that we have that opportunity here today to receive a new identity. And so for anyone that's sitting out there today that is asking for that new identity so that they could be a person of influence that's going to impact their life, their family life, their kids, their friends, their workplace, I pray, Lord God, that we would receive you into our hearts here today. That we'll confess our sins before you and, we'll, and then we'll turn around from that way of life. And God, for all of us here, we all need help. We cannot do this on our own, Lord God. We cannot go back to our workplace. We cannot go back to our family, our friends, where you have us at here in the Bay Area and have influence without you. God, we need you, Father. So I ask, God, that you would strengthen everybody here, that you would remind them who they are, that you would remind them how much you love them, how much you are there for them, no matter what they go through, no matter where they go, that you are there, God. So I ask, Lord, that you would encourage them today and that we will walk away from here making a personal declaration of who we are so that we'll have resolve when we're in those tough situations. And we'll know who we are. We'll know what we stand for. And we won't give in to temptation. We won't give in to what others want us to look like, sound like, act like. But we'll stand for what you want us to be, Lord God, for you have called us to be, Father. I just ask you to encourage everybody here, God, to know that they can do this, God, not by our own strength, but by your help, by your spirit, God. We can do this. We can live in the Bay Area and not be impacted, but impact it with your influence, God. We thank you for that. I just ask you to bless everybody here with a great day. Bless them, Lord God. Protect them as they drive home. And let us be people of change. Let us be people of influence, God, as we move forward. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you, guys. Go ahead and mingle around here. Let's be hospitable, right? And let's go, Dubs.